Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Genesis chapter 24. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. Well, it's actually where we're starting. Uh, we're not going to spend all day in one chapter. Uh, the, the fun part about a thematic uh, sermon series like this, where we're moving through Bible history and going from creation all the way to the redemption that God brings through Christ Jesus and how that unfolds in the Old Testament story, is that sometimes we got to just kind of blast through the stories and not get hung up on all the details. And so today we're going to do a little bit of fast writing through a number of chapters. And you'll see why by the time we get to the end. So Genesis chapter 24, if you've got your Bible app, open that up. You'll see today's notes and stuff in there as well. And so uh, just to remind us where we've been, we did start with creation and, and God's intent for mankind to live with him in harmony and peace forever and ever. But mankind in Adam and Eve rebelled against God's plan, sinned in the garden and earned for themselves death and God's wrath. And they were kicked out of the garden and mankind began to now live in this state of rebellion against God. And we get to see Things happen like the uh, uh, Noah's Ark, where God has to ultimately, at one point in history, judge all of mankind because things had gotten so bad. But God always, throughout this, gave a promise of redemption that would come. And we see it in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and, and we, what, what's called the Proto-Evangelion, the, the Proto-Gospel, the beginning gospel, the seed of the gospel, where God promises that a man will come and crush Satan and evil. And, and we see that God works in mankind all throughout Genesis already to preserve for himself a people to proclaim his name and hold fast to the promise of redemption. And then God, in chapter 12, begins the process of calling out a single family, the family of Abram, who becomes Abraham, and his wife Sarai, who becomes Sarah. Their names are changed to reflect a change in who they are. And uh, God begins to work in this one family, calling them out to be his representative to the world, and also to set the stage for the redemption that will come through Christ Jesus a few, few hundred years later. So... We have kind of left Abram, or Abraham and, and Isaac on the mountain uh, where Abraham had been told to sacrifice Isaac and then God provided a ram uh, in Isaac's place. And now Abraham, he goes back to his, his entourage, if you will, of young men and they get together and they go back to where Abraham is living in tents at the time. Beersheba. So they, they end up now uh, with time passing. And in verse or chapter 24, verse 1, we see this about Abraham. Abraham was now old, getting on in years. Now, if you remember the story, uh, Abraham is already well over 100 years old at this point. So when the Bible says that Abraham is getting old finally, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, don't you think? I mean, this dude is already well past where any of us will live. And he had a child by his 90-year-old wife when he was 100. 
Now, some of you are going, wow, so much to look forward to as I reach the 100-year mark, right? Uh, no, this is, of course, a miracle of God. And Abraham is getting on in life. He's getting old. And God has blessed him in everything that he has. And so what we see in chapter 24 is this man who is now uh, about 140 years old. He is beginning to prepare for his last days. And one of the most important things to him is seeing that his son Isaac, the child of promise that God had provided, is married to an appropriate wife because God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many children. He would have countless offspring. And one thing that is necessary to have countless offspring is that your son, through whom those offspring are supposed to come, gets married. Because those of you who maybe didn't pay attention in high school biology, it's not something that just happens on its own, right? There's got to be two involved in this. So Abraham is concerned with his son getting married, and so he calls to himself his servant. And we think that the servant that he calls to himself here in chapter 24 is the servant that was mentioned earlier in Scripture, Eliezer. And why Eliezer? Well, because before the birth of either Ishmael or Isaac, Abraham thought that Eliezer may be the one he would have to pass everything off to and who would inherit his fortunes and be his representative before God. But God said, no, I'm going to give you a child through your wife, Sarah, and that will be the child of promise. And we find out it is Isaac. So Abraham calls to himself his servant. We think it's Eliezer, so I'm going to say it's Eliezer, even though you're not going to see it in the verses here. And here's what Abraham says. He says uh, to his servant, the elder of his household, who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. So a couple of things to point out in this request from Abraham to his servant, who we think was likely Eliezer. And it, it is uh, a couple of practices that we might go, huh? First, Abraham asked Eliezer to put his hand under his thigh and make a promise. Now, you might go, why would someone want a servant to stick his hand under their thigh in order to make a promise when a handshake will do nicely. Um, you know, I'll just take your word for it. Well, we have to understand the culture that we're hearing about. And, and actually, when we see this very practice repeated in Scripture, we need to understand what it means. It's not some sort of weird thing that certain affinity groups in our modern culture like to try and say it is. Instead, what it is is, is a promise. Now, if you were to imagine sticking your hand under a man's thigh... Um, don't do it. Don't like reach over to your neighbor and begin the process. But what I want you to do is imagine it and imagine all of the, the things associated with that region, right? Okay, so, so yeah, you're getting the picture, right? All the things associated with that region and the, the things that will come from that region uh, in the sense of offspring, right? Uh, we, we get it. Okay, so when you stuck your hand under a man's thigh and you swore, you were actually making a promise not just to the man, but to all of his offspring, and in fact, the promise was one that if I don't keep what I'm promising, may your offspring hunt me down and have vengeance, is essentially what is being said by this practice. Does that make a little more sense? When you understand this is not some sort of weird thing. Instead, it is a very clear, 
symbol of, I commit myself not just to you, but to all of your offspring. And if I do not fulfill this vow as I have spoken it, may your offspring hunt me down and have vengeance. And so Abraham asks Eleazar to make a promise to go and get Isaac a wife. But not just from any people. He didn't want Isaac to marry just one of the ladies from the the surrounding cities. But Abraham wanted his servant to go back to where Abraham came from in Ur and to find a relative for Isaac to marry. Now, we all go, wait a minute. That sounds a little bit too much like certain areas of the country that we look down upon. And, And this is not the case. Instead, understand this is a normal practice for this age to marry within your blood lineage. You wanted to preserve your family. Now, you wouldn't uh, necessarily marry someone that was real close. However, we do find out in Scripture that Abraham and Sarah, they were half-siblings. But, but it's normal to marry within your, your local family in order to preserve the family line. And so this is a pretty standard type of request, promise, and practice. And so Eliezer, he promises to do this for Abraham and, and Isaac. And so he packs up lots of things we see in Scripture. He heads back to where Abraham's family was from. And he comes to a well and he begins to pray because he's really concerned about being able to do this job, to fulfill this promise. And so Eliezer prays. And so if you look down to verses 12 through 14, here is what he prays. He says, Lord, God of my master Abraham... Make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink. And who responds, drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. What a great way to be able to know who it is you're supposed to marry, right? Uh, Just, hey, God, let her come in and say hi to me. (laughs) And that's kind of how it boiled down for me. Shelly was just the first girl who was nice to me. And uh, here we go, you know, a couple of few kids and a couple grandkids later, and it's all cool. Um, But Eliezer, he is praying this prayer, Lord, make this happen for me today. And because I don't know if it's because he was dense or he was so concerned about making sure things worked out right. But he says, God, I need you to make this obvious for me. I'm at this well. So when the girls come to water their livestock, to get their water jugs filled, I want you to do this for me so I know exactly what your plans are. The first girl that I ask, can I get a drink, will respond, here's your drink and let me water all your camels as well. That'll be the one, God. Just do that for me. Can you do that for me and for your servant Abraham and for Isaac? And what's amazing is God answers Eliezer's prayer. Now, actually, God always answers our prayers, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But God answers Eliezer's prayer exactly as he asks. And we see as God begins to answer, it unfolds that a young woman comes, and she is of not just a... a, 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 a a woman of of some sort of background, but she is the right woman. 
She's from the right family, and she has the right attitude. And, and we're going to not read all of these ver- verses, but just a, a couple of them so you understand. It says this in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Now, the girl was very beautiful. Now, we all know that's, that's a plus, right? I mean, uh, guys, this is a plus, ladies. You know, you, you work towards this. You, you, but she's very beautiful, Scripture says. A virgin, no man had been intimate with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up. And then it all happens just as Eliezer has prayed. She, he asks her for a drink. She says, not just you, but let me water your camels as well. He says, this is great. Whose house are you from? She reveals that she is from Abraham's family, just like Abraham wanted and Eleazar was longing for. And so she is the right woman. She is beautiful. She is uh, without blemish morally and physically. I mean, there's just, it's all perfect. It's all working out. And not only that, but she also has, we find out, the right attitude. Her family agrees that, that this marriage is a good one and ordained by God. But Eleazar, from the very beginning, had been concerned that the woman he would find would be unwilling to come back to an unknown land and marry an unknown guy. But Rebecca's answer when he says, can you go with me? Is it time to go? Are you ready to go now? Is yes. And so God takes and Eliezer is working to be faithful to Abraham to help the promise continue by getting Isaac a wife. And God answers his prayer with a great big, absolutely, let me help you out. How cool is that? And we see it. God is intimately involved, even with these little, little details of his plan unfolding. And here's what it tells us in chapter 24, verse 61. After some interaction with uh, Rebecca's brother, uh, who would have been in charge of getting her married, uh, we see that the, the marriage is arranged, that there are gifts exchanged, and now it's time for them to return back to Canaan, where Isaac is, and, and Rebecca's ready to go. Then Rebecca and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac was returning from Ber Laharoi, where he was living, or for he was living in the Negev region. In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. So you, you see the picture unfolding. They've they've they're. Rebecca and the servant, they're arriving from Ur of the Chaldeans, actually from your perspective over here, and coming back to Canaan, and uh, Isaac is just getting back into Canaan, and he's out in the field, and then all of a sudden there's camels in the distance, and then Rebecca looks up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? The servant answered, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And then the the history, the story concludes with this. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her and he was comforted after his mother's death. So clearly Isaac was pleased. Rebekah was okay with the whole situation. God has done this great work. And it all hinges on this servant Eliezer and his prayer And God answers with, yes, let me give you direction. Let me show you what what to do and and who the right woman is. 
And then the the promise that God has made to Abraham that he will be a great nation, that he will have many offspring, it continues to unfold. So in your Bibles, turn over to chapter 25 in verses 19 through 26. I I told you we were going to be jumping around a little bit. And the reason is, is there's some other stuff that goes on here. We actually find out that um, Abraham got married again. The man's 140 years old, and he's getting married again and having more kids. And so, right? I don't know, hopes, expectations, uh, goals, Uh, who knows? I I don't want to live that long. I like bacon. Um, So... And that means bacon usually will kill you before you reach 140. Sorry, sometimes my internal dialogue trickles out. I'm still learning how to do that, you know. Um, Anyway, chapter 25, verses 19 through 26. God continues to unfold the promise that there will be many children coming from the lineage of Abraham. And so here's how it unfolds. It says, these are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Now, real quick, go back. Rebekah and Isaac were related. You might wonder how related were they? They were cousins once removed. And I actually had to look that up on a chart to figure out what that meant. Um, that, that they had a man, Abraham's father. It was Isaac's grandfather, but Rebekah's great-grandfather. So um, they were first cousins once removed. If, if you need a chart, uh, I can point you to it on Wikipedia. But so, so Abraham uh, passes away, and we have Isaac and Rebekah, and now Isaac and Rebekah, they are together. And here's what happens. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. So now we, we pointed out, Eliezer, he prays earlier, and he says, God, I need you to show me exactly what needs to happen, and it, and it happens. Isaac here, he prays, and God hears his prayer and shows favor to him, and Rebekah conceives. And now it, it continues to unfold this promise of children and offspring taking over, and, and there's more and more. But the children inside her, uh, inside Rebekah, struggled with each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? Isn't that the question that comes out of a lot of us uh, any given day regarding the will of God? God, why is this happening to me? Well, here's, here's what happens. So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her. So she goes, and she prays, and God answers her prayer. But God, instead of saying yes or giving direction, here's what he says to her. He says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Rebecca's asking, what's going on here, God? Why, why are my babies fighting? This is really strange. And God said, it's because they're always going to fight. And I want to tell you some unexpected and unusual things about your children. They're both going to be the leaders of nations, but the older one will be subject to and serve the younger one. Now, this doesn't happen in this culture. Big brothers are always in charge. Big brothers are always the best. And you can see that in today's culture with big brothers. Um, I'm a big brother. Uh, 
no, sometimes big brothers are jerks. But, but in this culture, the, the firstborn would have been in charge, would have received the lion's share of the inheritance, would have been the one that all the blessing would have flowed through. But what God says to Rebecca is that, guess what? You got two, they're always going to be fighting. And the older one is going to be subject to the younger one. The younger one is the one through whom all the blessing will be flowing. The younger one is the child of promise, not the older one. Now, as they're born, how do you figure out which one is younger and which one is older? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. But let's look at these three prayers first. We have Eliezer's prayer. And he asks for direction. And what does God give him? Direction. How cool is that? Then we have the second prayer. It's Isaac's prayer. And what does Isaac ask for? Rebecca to conceive. And what does God say? Well, boy, howdy, yes. Let me give you a couple of them, in fact. And then Rebecca prays. And, and what's Rebecca's prayer? Oh, God, why? What's going on here? How is this happening? What's, what's, what is this? And God's answer to her is not a, hey, it's all going to be okay. Just relax. You'll have twins. It's going to be cool. But instead, he gives her an answer that is completely outside of what would be ex- uh, normal expectations and standards. He tells her, you've got twins and they're battling and your expectations for them will be that the older will be the most prominent, will be the powerful one, will be the leader. But I'm telling you, it's the youngest who will be in charge. It's the youngest through whom the blessing will flow. I want to upset everything when it comes to your expectations for these two children. And I'm going to work differently than you ever imagined. So kind of hold on to that. We're going to talk about prayer a little bit more here in a few minutes, but I want you to see as people pray in scripture, the answers are sometimes varied. And and eventually we get to places where God just says no about prayer. But, but here we see God give direction. We see God give a hearty affirmative. And then we see God give, Hey, it's going to work out, but not like what you expect. Now the story continues This promise continues to unfold. The blessings of God continue to flow. And it says this in chapter 25, verses 24 through 26. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red looking, covered with hair like a fur coat. And they named him Esau. So you've got a little red-headed, covered in hair kid that's born first. Now, what does that make him? The oldest, the firstborn, the one through whom all the blessings should flow. But we're going to find out God has not chosen Esau. God has instead chosen this second child. Um, After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. So this has been about 20 years since Uh, Isaac and Rebecca are married. They had to wait that amount of time for the twins to be born. Esau, who is covered in red hair and uh, is the firstborn, that name Esau, it it, uh, is reflective of his red hairiness and the place where he will actually eventually live, Seir, which is outside the land of Canaan. And so we have Esau born. So his, his name is interesting, but Jacob's name is even more interesting because Jacob, remember this little baby that came out holding on to his brother's heel? He's the one that the promise is going to be flowing through. And here's what his name means. Literally, Jacob means, may he protect. 
But the name Jacob sounds like the word in Hebrew for heal. Can you imagine being named like for what you came out like, you know, and, and a, a word that sounds, it's just, just, it's weird, but what a cool practice for them. And, and what heal kind of means and how it gets used in the language is to watch from behind. So someone who is on the heel, they're watching from behind, waiting to pounce. One who grabs the heel or one who trips somebody else up. And what we're going to see in the life of Jacob is that he is all of these things. He's always watching. He's always scheming. He is always trying to grab onto and gain for himself advantages and ends up tripping up others, including his brother Esau. Now, we've got two children born that God has made a promise. He's answered prayers. He's answered them differently throughout the course of this story. But we see him constantly at work and affirming his promise. If we were just to look real quick at Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 6, we see that God stops in and speaks to Isaac and says, Remember that promise I made to your dad? It's your promise now. And I'm going to be working through you and your children to make it come true. And so we have Isaac receiving that promise, the same promise that he would be a great nation, that his children would rule over Canaan and be kings and rulers. And and so Isaac's probably pretty stoked. And as these two boys grow, we see that there's tension between them. We see that they're constantly jockeying for position. If we were to step back just before God affirming the promise, we see that Esau actually sells his inheritance to his brother, Jacob, for a cup of bean soup. And, and it, he's like, I just don't even care. I, I mean, dad loves me, mom loves you, and so this probably won't work out anyway. But yeah, give me, give me the bean soup, you can have my inheritance. A little bit later, in the next thing that happens is that the brothers are blessed. It's, it's a different thing. The inheritance was the, the physical stuff. The blessing was the prayer over each of the two children. And who would receive the promise of God to be the dominant one? And as we look, and it's just crazy, Isaac and Rebekah did not agree on who was the best kid. Isaac liked Esau the best because Esau was tough and he was burly and he liked to go hunting. And Rebekah liked Jacob the best because, first of all, she was the one who heard that he was the promised recipient of the blessing But she also liked him more because he was a little bit more of a homebody, a little bit more of a mama's boy. He liked to cook, you know, kind of stuff. I mean, and and that's cool. I like to cook, just by the way. I really like to cook. So it's not, cooking's not a bad thing. But but you have this tension between the brothers. Remember, the promise was these twins, they were going to be battling for a long, long time. And and they continue to battle throughout their lives. And Rebecca finds out that Isaac is getting ready To give his final blessing to Esau because he thinks he's dying. Now, he probably just had a sprained ankle from shooting off fireworks and running away. But, um, you you know, men always think they're about to die when they're sick. And so Isaac has reached a point, though, where he's ill. He thinks he's about to die. I need to bless my kids before I pass away. Rebecca hears about this, schemes with Jacob. Esau goes out to hunt for the meal that Isaac requests. Rebecca... And Jacob worked together to kill a goat, disguised Jacob as though he were Esau, 
feed Isaac and trick him into giving Jacob the blessing. And that's what happens. Isaac blesses Jacob, passes on the promise of God to the second born son, just like God had told Rebekah it would be. And then Esau kind of receives the scraps. So here's the blessing that Jacob, excuse me, that Isaac gives Jacob. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow in worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow in worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. Isaac thought he was giving Esau this blessing. But God's plan was always for Jacob to receive this blessing. And then we come back and, and we see that Esau is also blessed because he comes back a little bit later and says, all right, I got everything ready, Dad. And, and, and Isaac, who can't see very well, by the way, is saying, oh, wait, I've already blessed someone. Who are you? And it, it's me, Esau. Oh, no, <laughs> I blessed the wrong kid. And Esau's like, well, dad, don't you have something for me? Can't you say something nice to me? And Esau receives this blessing. His father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land. Oh, thanks, dad. Away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. The only real blessing that Esau receives is that when you stand up to your brother someday, you'll be able to get out from under his thumb. But Jacob has already received the blessing of prosperity. He's received the blessing of, of the promise being passed down through him. He has received the blessing of his brother serving him ultimately and being a ruler over many nations. And so all that's left to bless Esau with is someday you'll be able to stand up to your brother. Now, we, we might say, why is all of this important? Why is it important that Isaac took the time to bless Jacob and Esau? Because this is the, the real heart of the story of Isaac, according to Hebrews chapter 11. According to the, the progress of the promise, this glory and redemption story that we're working our way through, the most significant thing about Isaac and his life of faith was that he took the time to bless his two sons. He believed with all of his heart that when he prayed over his children these blessings, that God would be faithful and bring them to pass. He believed in the promise of God that he would be a great nation, that, that the, the people of Abraham would be a people who would represent God and be without count. He believed in that to so much that he passed it on to his children. And he gave them that promise as their own. Here's what Hebrews 11 says about Isaac. This is Isaac's big act of faith. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. If you remember his dad, Abraham, what does Abraham do? Hebrews 11 tells us Abraham left his home. It was Abraham's faith that brought about a baby out of the bodies of two nearly dead people. It was Abraham's faith that brought Isaac up onto the mountain and was willing to sacrifice him, trusting that God could bring him back to life if God really wanted him dead in the first place. 
that Abraham, we look at Abraham and we're just like, he is awesome. Look at all that Abraham accomplished by faith. Look at how God used him. And when we get to Isaac, his son, this son of promise, the only thing that scripture tells us about Isaac is that he blessed his kids. He prayed over his kids once, and that's all that we find out in Scripture about him. That's what makes Isaac special. He didn't leave anything. He didn't go anywhere. What did he do? He was faithful, and he blessed his kids. He believed the promise of God, and he passed it on to the next generation. And so it is so significant to understand that Isaac, as we we really, just in looking at these few passages, we've looked at the whole life of Isaac. Already, the story has changed from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob just in a few chapters, just in a handful of words. The story of Isaac is nearly done, but let's look at his life a little bit and see what God has done in and through him to bring about the promise of glory and redemption. First of all, we can look and and see about prayer. And in this this history of, of the life of Isaac, we can see that God answers prayer. God always answers prayer. Anybody like that Garth Brooks song, Thank God? I thank God for unanswered prayer. You need to get rid of it. It's a lie. There are no unanswered prayers. God answers every prayer. And here's, here's, here's what we know about what Scripture tells us. God answers every prayer. And sometimes, like Eliezer, the prayer is for guidance. And guess what we get? Guidance. How cool that is. That God would unfold next steps for us. Sometimes our prayer is a request. And here's what God does for us. Sometimes it's... Yes. Isaac prayed that his wife would be able to conceive, and God said, yes. Now, how long did it take for her to have that first set of kids, right? 20 years. 20 years of waiting. 20 years of praying. And God says, yes. Now, sometimes like Rebecca, we pray, and the answer we get is not at all what was expected. We prayed for something. God, give me this answer. Give, give me this thing. Work it out this way. And the answer was something still good, but not at all what we expected. You know, it's, it's a hard prayer to pray sometimes for someone who's very, very sick. Because, especially when they're a believer. Because one, one time, you know, sometimes we pray, Lord, heal them and bring them back to life. And, and let them live another 150 years because we really like them. In fact, that's oftentimes our prayer. Lord, save them. Lord, bring them back to life. Lord, heal them. Lord, make them better. Lord, please, please, please. please. We beg and we beg. And you know what God does? He answers that prayer, but not in the way we expect. He heals their body and their soul in the fact that they pass in this moment and wake up in the presence of Christ and they have the promise of resurrection. It's the answer, but it wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't even necessarily what we expected. We see that here. Rebecca says, God, what's, what's going on in my life? What are you doing here? And God says, I'm going to work in a way that you didn't expect. And it's going to be an answer that was outside of anything you ever dreamt of. But it's what I need to have happen. It's what's best for you and for the world that is to come. Sometimes when God answers prayer, he just says, wait. Now, I think Isaac probably had a little bit of that in those 20 years. Before he got his yes, he got a Wait. And then sometimes when we pray, when others in Scripture pray, God's ample answer is simply no. 
Not at all. And oftentimes we don't know why God answers no, do we? And sometimes it's a no right now and it's a wait and there'll be a yes. And sometimes it's just flat out no. That's not what's best for you. That's not what's best for those who are to come. And so God answers no. And so may we be like Eliezer and Isaac and Rebecca and not be afraid to lift up our prayers, to cry out to God, oh God, listen, I'm really confused. Can you make it to where I know which job is the right job? What they'll do is they will call me and they will offer health insurance, everything paid for, no deductible. That sounds great, God, let's do that. And they will offer me a company car and a gas card. And Lord, that's the way I all know which of these two jobs that I'm, 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 I'm looking at is the right job for me because it will all work out perfect. Wouldn't that be cool? And, and you know what? It could happen that way. Of course, that could be one of the times where you pray and God says, no. But sometimes we, we might get an answer that would give us guidance like that. May we be like Eleazar, bold enough to ask God. May we be like Isaac, persistent in prayer, saying, God, would you give us this? Because sometimes, in fact, many times, our loving Father says to us, yes. But we may, may we not be surprised, like Rebecca, when God gives us an answer that's completely outside of our expectations. In other words, you pray, do this, and God says, no, but I'll do this instead because that'll be better for you. What? That's crazy, God. I don't want that. Right, but it's better for you. May we just not give up in prayer and be willing to wait. And may we trust God when he says no. And that's probably the hardest answer to prayer to receive is no. But may we trust God when he says no. Because here's, here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says this, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The one sure thing about prayer, I can tell you right now, is God will answer. And the second sure thing is that when we do pray, the first thing he gives is peace. Why? Because we're putting it in his hands. And whether the answer is, here's the direction, yes, wait, it's going to be something but not what you expect or know, doesn't matter what the answer is, we will have the peace of God in Christ Jesus to help us walk through the answer he gives. So he will answer, and when we pray, we will receive peace to help us work through the answer. And where does that all come from? It starts with a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, your prayers, if it feels like they're bouncing off the ceiling and you're not a believer, it's, it's true, they are just bouncing off the ceiling. Because you're praying to someone you don't believe in, you haven't put your trust in. You need to come to Christ. You need to understand that you are a sinner who has rebelled against God and earned for yourself wrath and broken relationship, rejection, and ultimately death in a place called hell. And that's where you stand apart from Christ Jesus. But God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who came and lived a perfect and sinless life, fully God and fully man, and died on the cross to pay the price for your rebellion. 
He absorbed the wrath of the Father, died on your behalf, so that if you will put your faith in him, if you will trust on him as your Lord and Savior, if you will be in Christ Jesus, your sins can be forgiven, your life can be made new, and your prayers will begin to penetrate the ceiling and make it to the throne of God himself. And you will find the peace that you've been searching for, and he will always answer. So prayer begins with salvation in Christ Jesus. And those of us who are saved, keep praying, keep submitting, keep turning things over to him. Regardless of the answer, he will give you the peace you need. And then the second thing I want to kind of look at in the life of Isaac. Like I said, we've kind of looked at his whole life in just a few minutes. And Hebrews tells us his was an extraordinary life of faith. But sometimes, in fact, many times, an extraordinary life of faith is filled with little more than the ordinary tasks of living day to day. Man. Isn't that comforting to know that you and I, our names can be written in the hall of faith by faith? Michael got up every day and brushed his teeth and put on clothes and went out and loved people. <laughs> what a good story, right? By faith, you, you did what you do and you were faithful in doing it. And it was just normal, everyday life. But it was extraordinary because you did it in Christ Jesus. You did it believing His promises. You did it by faith. And that's, that's it. When we, we look... Hebrews eleven twenty by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Man, his dad, Isaac, his dad, Abraham, set some high standards. He left his homeland. He followed after God. He defeated kings. He made sacrifices. He bought land. He, I mean, he did big things. What did Isaac do? Here's what Isaac did. Here's Isaac's life. Isaac had his, life, had his wife brought to him. The dude doesn't even have like a a courtship story. It's just, hey, your dad found you a wife. Go marry her. He settled in one land his entire life. He lived in the same town his whole life. After blessing his sons, the next big accomplishment scripture records is he died. Literally, he sins Jacob off, with, he and Rebekah agree to send Jacob off after, after Jacob receives the blessing. And then the next thing we see of him in scripture, and Isaac died. That's it. That's his big story. Somebody else gave him a wife. He lives in one town his entire life. He blesses his children and then he dies. That's his big story. And yet scripture tells us he's worth remembering because he did it by faith. And this normal, unexemplary, everyday kind of life becomes recorded in Scripture as an example for us because he did it by faith. And so when we look at somebody like Isaac, somebody who is just living an ordinary, everyday existence, Scripture tells us he was extraordinary. Because he lived by faith. And he trusted in God's promises. And he prayed. And he blessed his kids and passed on the blessings of God that had been given to him. 
Here, um, Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessaloniki. He says this, You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. You know what? The quiet, normal, everyday, working with your hands and your mind, raise your kids, clean your house, cook your dinner, drive your car hither and fro, uh, that kind of everyday life can become extraordinary when it is a life lived by faith. When it is a life lived by desiring to see the blessings of God passed on to the next generations. And so, I hope we can see in, in God's continued plan of redemption unfolding that prayer is, is important to it. And when we want to see God's plan of redemption unfolding in our life, we need to be people of prayer. But also... God, in His graciousness and in His love, chooses to use normal, everyday people to live extraordinary, mundane lives of faith and to be glorified through that. You might say, my, li my life is so boring, my life is so nothing. Sure, I get that. I mean, stranger things, there's not even another season of that coming out for two more years, right? What am I supposed to do for two years while I'm waiting for that? What are we doing for lunch? What are we doing for dinner? What are we going to do for breakfast? Lunch tomorrow? Did you know we have to make dinner again tomorrow night? Right? You have, many of you, many of us, we got five days of work ahead of us, right? At least, sometimes six or seven or eight or ten or fourteen And you, how, how, what, my life is just wasted, there's nothing spiritual, no, no, live your ordinary, everyday life by faith, and watch God celebrate when you see him face to face. You are extraordinary in your ability to remain faithful in the ordinary. Serve him with all that you are. So, things to take home today, pray, pray, and when you wonder, Pray. Why do we pray? Because God always answers. And when we do pray and we are in Christ Jesus, we experience the peace of God that passes understanding. Second of all, remember the promise. The promise is everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. And so when you make that a central part of your life, both in your own calling out for Christ and in sharing that with others, you will see the promise passed on from that person to person. And salvation to move on. And then I want to encourage you, live an extraordinary, regular old life of faith. Just a, an extraordinary, regular old faith is what's going to get you through and get you to the crown and get you to the, 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 the throne of God. And he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you didn't move anywhere big. You didn't do anything significant. You didn't defeat anybody. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't. But what you did do, you did faithfully. And you did believing my promises. Live that extraordinary regular old life of faith to the glory of God. And, and we can be like Isaac. The, the big things about us might be he was born, he lived here his whole life, 
He went to work every day. She cooked dinner every night, and then they died. And God did great things through them, like Isaac. That's the hope, right? This story of glory and redemption, what a beautiful one it is. What a glorious one it is. And it's your story, too, as we watch God work through ordinary people to bring salvation to the world. He'll work through us if we pray, if we trust in his promise, and we live lives of extraordinary, regular, old, everyday faith. If you've got questions, if you need prayer, know that I'm available. If you'd like to come up and pray at the altar today, it's not really an altar. We've never sacrificed anybody up here, but at the front... It's, sorry. Another one of those internal dialogue things you should have just kept inside. I'm so sorry. Um, you, you know, it's interesting, though. Why do we call it an altar? Because it's a place of self-sacrifice every time you come pray someplace like this, where you lay yourself on the altar. You sacrifice yourself once again to God as an act of worship, and you say to him, you are valuable above all else. So if you'd like to come to the place where we sacrifice ourselves... In prayer, you can do it at your seat or you can do it up front. Just just know that if you're in a moment where you need someone to pray over you to reach out, don't just sit there and stew. Instead, allow the Spirit to work in you through the hands and prayers of others. So, Well, let's, uh, let's get ready to close with our last song, but let's do so with a, a word of prayers as a team together, as a congregation together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this unfolding and continuing story of glory and redemption. We went through a lot today. We covered the whole life of Isaac and a couple of bright spots, but so much that just seems mundane. So much that seems like there was nothing super extraordinary about Isaac other than he was part of the promise. He was always part of the plan. Help us to be able to to realize that we can be like Isaac. Maybe nothing extraordinary about our day today. Maybe no big accomplishments but that we can be faithful and we can bless those who come after us. We can celebrate the promise of salvation as we share it with others. And we can continue to be faithful in prayer knowing you always answer and give peace. Father, may we live extraordinary lives of faith even though they look like mundane, monotonous, everyday lives. Because we know that even in small things, you can be blessed. Even in the small things, coming generations can be blessed. Even in the small things, your gospel can be shared and your promises ensured. I pray that as we close in song, that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds. We're struggling with doubt. We're struggling feeling like our lives are not what they could or should be. Help us to just come and submit those things to you. And then wait for your answers. And trust that you can use even the everyday, monotonous, extraordinary lives of ordinary people to bring about your perfect plans. In the name of Jesus, we pray and worship together.
God bless you all this week as you just 
walk and work through your everyday lives. May you be people of prayer and celebrate the mundane, realizing that God uses just your faithfulness in the daily grind in order to glorify himself and bring about beautiful, wonderful blessings and promises in the lives of others. So God bless you guys this week. Come make waves. BBS, um, are we going to have real water and surfing? No. That's, uh, I'd, I'd break something, I'm sure. So be part of VBS this week and grab some, some folks that you know and love who are in the right age group and bring them here. But let's, uh, let's just make the most of this week. We'll see you guys next Sunday. And we look forward to the stories we're going to have from VBS and uh, getting ready to send our youth group and a few adults off on our mission trip to West Virginia as well. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.